Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And good morning, everybody up in Marowak. Can we give a big clap? And can we all give everybody at home watching online a big clap? Welcome. If you're watching online, it is great to be with you. And uh, if we haven't met, if you are uh, uh, new here today online or in person, it's great to meet you. My name's Dean. I'm part of the team here at True North. And it is great to gather with one another. And this morning, uh, as we come uh, to God's Word together, we are going to be wrapping up a series. If you've been around, you'll know we've been, uh, over the last 60 days, wrapped up on this past week. I think it was Thursday. We've wrapped up 60 days in the Gospel according to Matthew. Been reading through this Gospel so much about uh, what it looks like to understand uh, life in the Kingdom of God and the Kingdom of Heaven and, and how Jesus leads us into that. And so we are going to, uh, if you, if, has anyone, did anyone finish, and maybe it was the first time you even read through, anyone finish all 60 days all the way through the Gospel of Matthew? Let's see those hands. It's, it's better if you're online or uh, in Merrill right now if you're on screen, because I can't see you. So as far as I know, everyone online at Merrill waited all the way through, and I'm so proud of you and happy for you. And, uh, and, and I say, say one of my hopes for each one of us, and you'll see this today, uh, is that all of us could uh, find the absolute life and joy God wants us to find in His Word and to delight in it. And so today we're going to be looking at the very end point of the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to read for you these words. They come from Matthew 28. These are, we, we started the Gospel of Matthew. You saw Jesus. It all began with this look at the genealogy and how this was the descendant of David. He was going to be the rightful heir, the king uh, of, of Israel. And now it's all going to expand dramatically. At the beginning of Matthew 28, Jesus has risen. He's alive. He's showing himself. And then in Matthew 28, he gives these final words. And let's read them together. Matthew chapter 28, verse 8. Uh, we're going to start in 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Or many translations say some hesitated. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I want to pray as we come to these verses today. Would you bow with me wherever you are? King Jesus, we thank you for the way your word leads us, guides us, and instructs us, and calls us to a brand new way of life in you and in your kingdom. And I pray as we look at these verses this morning, they might speak to us in a fresh way as your people. God, I pray that once again these words would ignite something within us the way they ignited something within the 11 that day. You are with us to the very end of the age. You are no different today than you were in that moment. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit in our midst, we might be reignited to live the lives you want for us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we come to these words, I was reminded of a, a moment when I was uh, entering year 12 in high school. Anyone remember year 12 of high school last year? Uh, where I grew up in those parts, you call it your senior year. 
It was towards the end of year 11, and you were giving more responsibility when you entered year 12. So you got to choose more of your classes. Less things were required, and more things you could pick what you wanted to do. I was given a list of classes, and when I looked ahead at year 12, I thought to myself, what do I want out of this year? We were encouraged to think about what we should choose and select. And I thought to myself, if there was one thing I wanted to focus on in year 12, it was basically a, a formula that went along these lines. The most amount of fun possible multiplied by the least amount of work possible. So I looked at the list, and I saw here are the things I have to take, and then I thought to myself, I'd looked at people older than myself, kids who'd gone through, and from what I could see, the easiest, most fun uh, courses that were available were basically the home economics courses. Now, I'd healed from some earlier misfortunes from some of those of you who were at uh, Imagine last week. But what I knew about those courses were, one, the teachers were lovely, and from what I could see, they were the easiest classes around that you could actually find perhaps your way to, as we might have called it, you know, uh, uh, skipping uh, a moment or two of school. Uh, so I, I thought, okay, those, uh, there's a bit of an easy outlet there. Uh, secondly, you would cook in these courses. And so the thought of year 12 being a lot of time spent eating with my friends seemed like a pretty good plan. I've, I signed up for as many as I possibly could. And then I had to sit down with a guidance counselor. I sat down with the guidance counselor, presented my choices. The guidance counselor looked at me and said, oh, so do you want to be a chef? I looked at the guidance counselor like, why would you ask that? <laughs> I don't want to be a chef. I'm not even good at cooking. This is bizarre. You know, what, what? And he said, but, but you've chosen like an extraordinary amount of cooking classes uh, for year 12. And I still looked at him like I'm, I'm struggling to see what you're getting at here. And he's something along the lines of, well, why have you chosen these? And I probably mumbled something less articulate about, well, I thought it'd be fun. I don't know. And, and we proceeded into some kind of version of a conversation that went around him uh, asking some version of, do you know what the point of school is? <laughs> and uh, and, and it, it dawned on me in this moment because he began to explain things like, uh, like learning and preparation and uh, university and jobs and careers. And, and in that moment, I had this revelation. I, and I thought to myself, you know, like a little kind of like an, you know, dramatic music from a sitcom played in my head. And I thought to myself, have I missed the point all these years? See, in my whole academic career, I thought that this was the formula of school. I thought school, the point of school is really a battle between myself to have fun and teachers who always seem to want to spoil that fun. I thought the point of school was friends and sports and girls, let's be honest. And, but this guidance counselor was saying, and, and I thought to myself, is it possible to hear at the very end, year 12, I'm having to ask myself, did I miss the point of all of this? And then that thought faded from my mind and I went about and had an awesome year 12. It was a great time, <laughs> cooked a lot. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of mornings at McDonald's having egg McMuffins. Anyways, it was a great time. Uh, and somehow, but here's my, here is my, please do not miss this. Wouldn't it be the worst thing in the world? There are people you are watching today, you're here in the room, followed Jesus for a long time. Uh, there are some of you who are curious about church, faith. What does it even mean to follow Jesus? There are people at all stages of life and, and, and faith journeys. And what if we missed the points of it all? 
Because right here at the very end of Jesus' final words, he brings it to a crystal clear point. Do not miss this. Do not be uh, distracted. Do not think. Uh, do not, you know, kind of miss the very pointy end of all of this is to go and make disciples of all nations and to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, what I want us to be reminded of, if you're a person who's been around faith for a while, I want us to be reminded there is uh, the highest calling we have is to be a disciple who makes disciples. To be a disciple who makes disciples. You can't make a disciple if you are not a disciple first. And you can't really be a disciple if you do not embrace Jesus' core teaching to go. So these two things work hand in hand. Are we good and agreed on that? And so we want to be reminded, here's the point. Here's the point. We are to be disciples who make disciples. Disciples of Jesus, more specifically. Because how many people know, uh, we're all disciples. We're all learning. We all are following somebody. The point of being a follower of Jesus is to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm learning from Jesus how to live my life as if he were me. I'm learning to live and, and go about my life. Do you know Jesus was a carpenter for most of his life? One of the things often people say about this as his profession, one of the things that reminds us is that no matter what your profession is, Jesus wasn't, for most of his life, he wasn't doing what, what you know, someone like myself where I'm, you know, full-time in ministry, if you will, that kind of thing. Jesus could have been any profession that ever existed and lived his life the way he did. He could be you. He could have your job, your family, your context. And when he says, come be my disciple, he's saying, I want you to follow me in such a way that you could live out your life as if that was me there, but uniquely you. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about, for a moment, the call to discipleship. Do we remember, do we realize that uh, Jesus did not come fundamentally to, uh, to call us to be a, we'll use this phrase for a moment. He didn't come to, to make fans. Okay, we're going to talk about the difference between fans and followers. A disciple, you know, it's easy to be a fan of Jesus, and a fan, as in any sport, you can sit on the sidelines and you look and say, go you, go you, that's great, that's great. Jesus didn't come to call and say, hey, look at everything I did, how good it is, so that, you know, his people would then look and just say, look how great what Jesus did. Jesus called us to be followers, not on the sidelines, not just saying this is good, but actually that each one of us would follow him with our whole life. This is the call to discipleship. To be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to make him not just our Savior, which he is, but our Lord, our King. The one to whom, if Jesus is who he says he is, if the first half of Matthew 28 is true, that he rose, conquered death, and now has come back, he is risen, alive forever and ever. That he is in fact the one who created all things, that through him, by him, for him, all things have been made then why would we not make the very priority of our life to learn from him how to live? This would be our, Jesus imagined, this will be the absolute focus of each one of our lives. We are called not to be Christians, not to be churchgoers, not to be nice people. We are called to be disciples of Jesus. People who say in all things, Jesus, how? If you were here, if you were me, how would you arrange your life? How would I, how can I follow you right where I am? And the point of discipleship is the second thing I want to talk about for a moment. The point of discipleship is this, that we would become people who love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Jesus says, here's the point. He says, you're going you're gonna to do these things. I'm going to write this for a moment. He says, we are going to, first of all, here's command, you are going to go. Here's our, our big word, we're going to go. And then we're going to make, and I just want these words here so we don't get distracted, make. Some of you are like, um, maybe instead of all that cooking, you should have taken some handwriting courses, Dean. And maybe, maybe that would have been more helpful. Point taken. Uh, make disciples. Intrinsic in this is that we are disciples of all nations. We're going to go everywhere. There is no one uh, outside the bounds. Jesus is not just, it says all authority has been given to him. He's not just the king of some people or certain people or certain, you know, he is Lord of the universe. There is no part of all creation, heaven and earth. There's nothing that does not sit under his authority. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's who Jesus is. That's why we don't just say, Jesus, you got some nice advice for us. We say, Jesus, you have all authority in heaven. I want to know everything you have to say about life and how to live. And he says, then we're going to teach. Here's how we make disciples. It has these two points. You're going to baptize. Do we remember that part? Baptize in the name of. You can shout it out wherever you are. Baptize in the name of the. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach to obey. Teach to obey. Side note, while I was having to change some of my courses and still looking, though, for the optimal fun slash least work, I signed up for a typing course when I was in year 12. And the funny thing about that, I thought this would be fun, and one of my other friends was taking it as well. My friend Ben and I, we were in there. Turned out we were the only two boys in this whole class, and the rest were year nine girls. And that was a bit of an unfortunate uh, thing. So what happened was, in that class, uh, there was actually, you know, I mean, that was, you know, it was all these just young, you know, girl, and then the two of us. And so I had no other choice than to do the work. And so we spent all our time actually learning how to type. And so I do have terrible handwriting, but literally this week, three people commented to me on how fast my typing is. <laughs> how good is that? You know, thank you. Thank you. You know, the Lord, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And, um, there, and there was something useful in school. Like, who knew? Anyway, I'm sorry to all the teachers and to my mom. Everyone, I'm sorry. But um, here's what we're trying to do. We're called to go to make disciples, to be a disciple. Here's the call to discipleship. It is to baptize. First of all, it starts with this. A decisive moment of saying, I choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Baptism is a one-time choice, a decisive moment of saying, I now choose to be a disciple of Jesus. And if you're a person who's been following Jesus or you've been uh, learning about Jesus or maybe even going to church for quite a while and you've never taken that decisive step, I want to encourage you this morning one of the first, the first step in discipleship is to go, okay, if life is about doing what Jesus says, and the first thing he says, do is get baptized. Hey, why, don't, why not be baptized? In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And it's a way of saying, I'm, I'm on this journey. I'm with Jesus now. Uh, if you're interested in that this morning, there's QR codes or links. Go on our website where it says interested. Uh, and you can say you're interested in baptism. We'll help you with that decision. It starts a brand new journey. But that moment is followed, that one decisive moment is followed by a lifetime of learning 
a lifetime of journeying to learn to be like Jesus. Because now, he says to be a disciple is to learn to obey. Let me hear you say obey. Obey. Let me hear you say everything Jesus commanded. Oh, boy. Now, here is a lifetime course for us, isn't it? Let's just think about a few of the things Jesus commanded that we've seen if you've read through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, hey, uh, you've heard it said don't murder. I'm going to tell you something. Don't even get angry. Don't call somebody a name. Okay? Oh, well, let's start there. We'll, we'll work on that. He says don't. You've heard it said don't commit adultery. Don't even, you know, look lustfully uh, at someone. Okay? Let's have not meant to be angry. Don't lust. You know, uh, don't serve God. Okay, we're not meant to be greedy. Uh, don't store up treasure on earth. Don't, okay. Uh, don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. We don't worry. Let your yes be yes and you know be no. Just be people of integrity. He imagines this life where we are. He says, uh, and if someone gets mad at you or is persecuting you or is saying mean things about you, rejoice. Hey, that sounds like fun. I, like, let's just think for a moment, all of us, I, I would imagine if you're like me, these things do not come naturally or instinctively. We must learn to obey them. We must learn to obey these things. The easiest thing in the world is just to wrap your head around a list of facts of what Jesus said to do. And then the most challenging thing is to actually become a person who learns to do them. But Jesus imagines, remember, the point of discipleship is that we become people who love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that out of who we are from the inside out, rejoicing when someone, you know, says mean things becomes a natural overflow. Because we, we love God, we know we're loved by him, and, and we're beginning to experience agape, love for others around us. It, to learn to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength is to be so transformed from the inside out that instead of our lives looking like what we saw Jesus constantly railing at the Pharisees and the leaders and teachers of the law all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, frustrated because sometimes they try to do the right actions, but they've never transformed their heart, and they're just doing it on the outside. When on the inside, he says, there's all kinds of mess here. No, it's, it's Jesus wants us to be on people who love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and then our strength, our body, and our actions. He imagines us becoming these extraordinary, the light of the world. People who have found a literally new way to be human. And because of that, they, these people will shine like stars in the night, the scripture says. Are we becoming, are we on the journey to becoming those kinds of people? We must learn to obey everything he has commanded. This is the point of discipleship. Now I want to give you just a little bit of, for a moment today, if you are a person who says, that's the kind of life I want. I don't want to miss the point. I don't want to go through motions. I want to make sure I'm actually on the journey Jesus invited me to be on. I want to talk to you for a moment about the process. Let me hear you say process. Let me hear you say journey. It is a process. It's a journey. It is not something that happens once. Baptism is decisive. It happens once. But discipleship is a lifetime. And both of these must always go hand in hand. The process for becoming a disciple, though, is what I want to encourage you with. Because if to be a disciple is to be someone who is growing to be more like our teacher, Jesus. And if he's calling us to also be those people who go and make disciples of all nations constantly a part of his mission, expanding his mission in this world. 
then the most important starting point for us is to make sure that we are, in fact, becoming genuine disciples of Jesus. Not fans, genuine followers. Not just going through motions or actions, but this is becoming transformative from the inside out. Would you like just a snapshot of a process to do that? Well, you're going to get one anyway, so sorry. That's, uh, and we're going to use more handwriting and more drawing on this side. Okay, so here is, I'm going to erase, erase this. And I'm going to draw you now a picture. And I didn't take many art classes. I tried to, but you weren't allowed to unless you've been doing art. Anyway, here is uh, uh, a little a picture. This comes from Dallas Willard. While we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew, I've been reading through uh, one of Dallas Willard's books called Divine Conspiracy. So uh, it's been really fun. To, he traces through a lot of this in his book. And one of the things I love that he gives is a basic model for discipleship that I think pulls together some threads that we sometimes miss. And, and, he, and it's a, he pulls it together a bit like a triangle. And he says, we need all three sides of this triangle. And if you can't see this incredibly well online or up there, that's okay. But imagine a triangle. And at the top, there are these three forces that are all part of how we grow to be like Jesus. And at the very top, what's clear is we're going to write the Holy Spirit here. Jesus' final words are, I will be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be present to you. His presence. The very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, we're told Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The very end of the book of Matthew, we're told Jesus says, I will be with you. Always. To the very end of the age. And he gives us, his Holy Spirit is his presence with us. And so... The work of discipleship, of transformation, to become a person who learns to love God with the heart, soul, mind, and strength, is always, and this is the reason it's at the top of the triangle, most dramatically a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so if we've been around faith for a while, you know this. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. This is not human effort. This isn't a program for self-growth. This is a process of cooperating with the presence of God, his Holy Spirit, to allow him to transform us to be like Jesus. Sound good? So we start with the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts so that we can do the things Jesus did. The Holy Spirit brings about fruit so we can be the kind of people Jesus was. And so we open ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now in the center of this triangle is, I'm going to write, I'm going to write mind slash will, and you will not be able to read that at all. It actually looks like it says mixed, mixed will. Anyway, to be a disciple starts with, at the heart of who we are, a decision to say, I choose to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm setting my mind on this. Scriptures talk about having the mind of Christ. We actually have to decide in our heart, in our will, I want to follow Jesus as a disciple. I want to allow him to transform me. The will is something God has given to us in the human heart. Our will, our ability to say yes or to say no. And unless somewhere in our will we choose to enter the journey of discipleship, to say, Jesus, I want to become like you. If we do not choose that, he will never force it upon us. So we must in our heart, uh, Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we must actually choose to say, I want to become a disciple. So we start with the mind and the will in the center. Is that good? Can we say will? will? We have to actually engage our will and say, I want 
to go on this journey. Now, over here, in this bottom corner, are what we're going to call, we'll call this trials. Let me hear you say trials. And ordinary life. Let me hear you say ordinary life. This is our actual life. This is where we are living. Uh, in James, many people know, and it's kind of a fun verse, he says, whenever you experience trials of all kinds, he says, how many people know what he says do? He says, consider it pure joy. That away. We talk about this a lot on our team. Yeah. <laughs> Things going rough, consider it pure joy. That's what the scriptures teach. James, brother of Jesus, spent all his time said, do you know what? When you've got hard things happening in your life, he says, consider it pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces, uh, ultimately, he says, this is going to produce perseverance. It's going to produce you being transformed over time. See, sometimes when we experience trials in life, our first reaction is, God, get me out of here. Help, I'm a celebrity. God, get me out of here. God, you know who I am? Get me out of here. God doesn't say the primary goal he has for our life is for us to get out of all the trials. His primary goal for us is to become like Jesus. He's training us. And it doesn't mean he necessarily sends all those or that we should think that bad things are somehow, but rather we must, if we are to become disciples, we must learn to engage the Spirit of God in the midst of our trials and allow him to there transform us. If we spend all our life thinking, you know, once I get through this thing, then I can get, you know, kind of growing, we absolutely will miss the work of the Spirit in our lives. But rather, those trials in our ordinary life, which I spelled wrong. I just should not have told you about my strategy in school. You know, that's not because of that. Uh, our ordinary life is where God transforms us. It's in our getting up. It's in our, our, it's in our coming to, to gather for worship on a Sunday. It's in you grabbing some coffee on your way to work on a Tuesday. It's in traffic. How many people know traffic is like an absolute master class for discipleship? <laughs> this, is, this is where if discipleship does not happen in traffic, it does not happen anywhere in your life. It doesn't. Like if it, we, we sometimes, we're always thinking about all these, oh, this is almost in the way. Or this thing is in the way of my time with God. Or this thing's in the way of who God's calling me to be. Or this, God just goes, hey, be where you are. And begin to see even the most ordinary, mundane circumstances of your life as the context where discipleship happens. Discipleship does not really happen on a Sunday. Discipleship does not really happen in a course. Discipleship is the process of allowing the Spirit of God to shape you and transform you from the inside out. And that happens in life. In ordinary circumstances and more profoundly in trials. Those are the moments. Now the hard thing is, here's a fun traffic story for a moment. I can remember this moment. Here's discipleship taking place. Uh, Lisa and I were engaged. And I was, uh, we were li I was living in New York. She was living in Indiana at this time. We were long distance. We spent a lot of time on, on the phone. Uh, cell phones, that's what we call them over in America. I don't know why. They don't even use cellular batteries. Anyway. Uh, and the funny thing was on our phone calls, different things kept 
happening that became moments for um, discipleship. And so one time, I was on the phone with her. I was driving. You were allowed to back then. Uh, and, and in New York, traffic, I mean, like, we complain. I complain about traffic. Traffic, in Perth, we, we don't have traffic, okay? We, you know, we, we know this. Been other, like, I was, and I, I was leaving New York City trying to get somewhere. And the nature of leaving New York City at the time of day I was, if you miss a turn, you could literally now set yourself up for about three, two to three hours just stuck because it's just bumper to bumper. And I was uh, meant to uh, turn off on a particular spot, and that way I was going to miss the traffic and get home all the time. Anyway, but I'm on the phone to her while I'm doing this, and we're having a nice conversation, and we're chatting, and she's over there, and we're having a good conversation. And all that, I got a bit distracted, and I suddenly missed my turn. And I missed my turn, and the nature of our conversation, suddenly instead of all the lovely uh, words and comments, uh, we'll just leave it at some less than nice words started flowing out of my mouth. Uh, quite, quite strong language, uh, which was flowing from a place of deep frustration. And, uh, and, and we'll just leave those words to the side for now. And, and my future wife hung up on me in that moment, which I didn't understand. And so I called her back, and, and she's like, I cannot even believe you would speak like that. I can't believe, uh, you know, those words, like all this. And I was like, you don't understand. You haven't seen the traffic. You're in Indiana. You have no idea what I'm sitting in. That was the most appropriate word I could find. And she is absolutely aghast that this is who I am. And what I realize is, I'm like, oh, you, you know. And then eventually I had to go, okay, Lord, is there something that I actually need to transform? I was in seminary. I was studying. I was learning these verses in Greek. <laughs> That's not discipleship. Discipleship is, ah, uh, what is the person Jesus is calling to me to be from the inside out? And he has just brought to my attention, there's a lot in here that needs some work to learn to obey. Because uh, I had done miles past some of the words he said not to use. <laughs> he said, don't call him a fool. Well, boy, I had some better words than that. Anyway. My point is, you know what I had to do was not then try harder, was not then, okay, I just won't get angry anymore. I actually had to engage in a different space of life. Sometimes we think, if you wait until the ordinary moments and trials and we think, how am I supposed to react? Uh, this is why we sometimes will, will miss it because we're missing a key piece of this triangle, and that's this piece over here. And this is what we're going to call the habits of a disciple. Let me hear you say habits. The habits of a disciple. You see, we, if we do not have habits which take us regularly into the presence of God, where he does work on us on the inside, then we will not be able to hear his voice in the ordinary moments and the trials of life. We actually need a way of life that strategically and particularly creates the space for us to be in the presence of God so that he can do work on us from the inside out. And these habits... We, we go, you know, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to look at Jesus' life and say, what were the things that Jesus, when he walked this world as a human being, what were the habits, the patterns, the rhythms of his life? Because it's no good to just say, okay, Jesus, I want to not get angry, and then live a life that absolutely does not follow him into his daily expression of what it looked like to live the human life. So we have to actually choose strategically what are the habits and patterns we put in place in our lives. 
You know, the, when I experienced, say, that moment and the Lord brought something to my attention, one of the things I did was end up creating some space for silence, solitude, and even fasting. Because I realized, like, you know, the Bible says that we should have control over our tongue. The, the, tongue, the tongue is the key to life and death. But instead of just trying harder, I realized I needed some time and space in the presence of God. And out of a significant fasting time I did there, I probably never, I'm not saying I never have not said of, uh, or gotten angry in traffic. That's not, don't hear me wrong. But anger never had the same place in my life as it did prior to that. There was something of a breaking and a growth and progress, not perfection, progress. Let me hear you say progress. This is why we talk about it. We are learning to obey. We are growing. We are journeying. But we have to be making progress. I'm not there yet, but I'm not where I was 20 years ago either. This is progress. Now, I want to talk to you about habits for just a moment. And, and I want to give you uh, a couple of Dallas Willard. I love what he does. He says, you know, there are so many habits. I know there's so many things we could put in place in our lives and think, i got to do this or do that, should do this. But he says, here are four core habits. Do you want four core habits? Okay, you don't want four? You can have 20 instead. Okay, no, just kidding. Four core habits, he says, these four. And I want to encourage you right now, ask yourself, are these habits or patterns in your life? And the first one he says that we see in Jesus constantly is solitude. Jesus, let me hear you say Solitude. Jesus consistently has a pattern of getting away to be alone with the Father. Now ask yourself for a moment, do I have a habit or pattern of solitude where I disconnect from all the voices, noise, and people around me for at least some stretch of time to actually be able to hear the voice of God in my life? Solitude. What does that habit look like? Pattern, rhythm. Silence. Silence is the other core, one of the second core habits of a disciple of Jesus to have moments in our life. Do you know we live in one of the noisiest eras in history and without a doubt noise and distraction is without a doubt one of the primary uh, strategies of Satan and the kingdom of evil in our lives. We have so much noise, distraction, how can we ever open ourselves up to the flow of the kingdom of God in our life? We actually have to become people who strategically practice silence, disconnecting from the voices, disconnecting from the tech, disconnecting from Netflix, disconnecting from, at times, and disconnecting long enough to allow, uh, imagine like a really murky lake, and sometimes it just needs space to settle. We need silence so that our soul can settle at times, and the voice of God become louder. Word. Let me hear you say Word. Yeah, some of you have some flavor with that. Word. Jesus, if you've been reading the Gospel of Matthew, how many people notice how often what he says, he just quotes in Scripture elsewhere. He was so full of the Word, it shaped him. We have to become people who actually have clear habits, patterns. This is why, and some of you are probably like, why reading, plan, and get through Matthew? If we do not become students of the Word, how will we be students of Jesus? He's left us his Word. We cannot hope to live as a disciple when all we absorb is, you know, the latest Netflix show and, and 2,700 times a day touching our phones and, and all these things. If we do not figure out how we are going to be those who, like Jesus, studied the word of God and got it inside us so that when we're in the trials and ordinary 
moments of life, now it can shape us. If we lose that, how can we follow Jesus? And then the last one is worship. And this idea of worship, you see, solitude and silence are what are called withdrawal things. They're things that we stop, we step back from. Word and worship are things we engage with. Worship is so huge because what separates as well, following Jesus, he is not like another, you know, personal life coach. He is not another top ten bestsellers person. He's not another blog to get on, another email to subscribe to. The only appropriate response once we gather who he is is worship. And if we do not stay as those who stay in awe of who he is, not as just another teacher, but as king, lord of the universe, then we will always mishandle the things of the Lord. Worship. Life is about God. And so if we, I want to encourage you this morning. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. To ask yourself this question. How am I going as a disciple of Jesus? How am I going as someone who's saying, and, and this is not, we all have different seasons, ebbs, flows. The journey is long and it's not always to the swift. We know these things. But have I said it that it's actually a priority in my life? That's where it starts. Am I creating space so the Holy Spirit can work in my life? Through regular habits that take me into the word of God, into solitude, into silence, into worship. So that here... In the ordinary events, in the trials of my life, Jesus can continue his shaping, refining work in who I am so that I can then shine as a star in the night. I can then be like an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I'm stepped out of rhythm with the world around me. I've stepped into rhythm with the kingdom of heaven. And here from this place, I can invite others. If we're going to go and make disciples of all nations, we must first be a disciple, and then we must be those who invite and welcome others into life and the kingdom of God. This is the call. This is the invitation. This is what Jesus wants for us. He gets all the way to the end. At the end of the gospel, according to Matthew, what the kingdom of God is all about, comes this arrow that says, here is what life is about. It's about being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples of Jesus who is being transformed, and who's inviting others into life in the kingdom of God. I'm going to finish with this, and, and I know we've been talking for a little bit about this, but this is so huge to me because I can tell you this about, about our church and about life in 2022. It has never been a more focusing time, I believe, for the people of God to realize this is what it, this is the call. We are called to be disciples. And we're called to be disciples who make disciples. And if we allow anything else to become the focus, if we allow anything else to become the distraction, if we allow anything else other than each one of us as part of the community of faith, the tribe of believers, those who are fellow journeyers in the kingdom of God, if we allow anything else to take priority, we will miss the point of what Jesus had for us. And and we do not want to do that. We want to step into life in all its fullness. And so I want to give you one last final picture. And it's a video. It's actually just a little video from four years ago. My wife and I, our family, Levi was with us. We were in Greece. We were there on a, a marriage retreat with a great mentor of ours. We were walking down a street in Greece, and we saw, if you've ever heard of it, you know, kind of the Greek kind of circle dancing was taking place. And there was this restaurant, and these people were in this circular dance. And this circular dance, if you've ever seen that Greek circular dancing, 
you may know this, but there's a word for it, perichoresis, that a long time ago early church fathers picked up as another word to be a picture of what the Trinity was about. This idea of God perfectly indwelling, you know, himself, Father, Son, Spirit, but in this beautiful kind of uh, movement and rotation. And, 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 and they use this because there's this great kind of uh, picture and illustration. And have a look at this video. I just want you to see what it was like walking past this group of people. How many people, when you watch that, think, man, I'd love to join in that? It's beautiful. I want to invite you to stand for a moment as I just talked about this for a moment. Do you see the beauty? And in, 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 in one of the reasons the early church fathers grabbed onto this kind of circular dancing, we're trying to use it to find some ways, and none of us ever perfectly can to explain Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and what God is like. But it, it creates a little bit of this picture. Do you know that the God, we're told, is love. He is perfect agape. He is per Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is perfect love. There is a rhythm to life in the kingdom of God. And when we become disciples of Jesus, it's like we're learning to say, I want to find that rhythm. And it's a beautiful rhythm. But it's a different beat. And it's a different rhythm to the world around us. And to be a disciple, to be a disciple, if you remember nothing else, it is actually to find, it is not some... Uh, harsh task for us to undertake it is the invitation of God saying I love the the waiter there was just like come on it's beautiful in here come on there's joy there's goodness Dean don't stay someone who's angry and and all you know kind of anger just below the surface waiting to come out come learn the rhythm of the kingdom of heaven and the beauty of that dance is that the way it works is it's always meant to be exactly. It can start with always at least three people. But the beauty is there's always room and space saying, come on, come join. And that great commission is Jesus' invitation to say, come join the dance. Come be a disciple. But as you do, and as you learn the steps, and as you catch the rhythm and find the beat, make sure you are always. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't we be those who go? who go to the people at work and at school and in all the places we are and say, come on, just come join the dance. This is what we're called to be at True North. In fact, if you can see this picture one more time, I realized Dallas Willard only needed one thing to make it perfect. Look at that. It's a True North sign. Anyway. It's literally random, but I thought, you know, maybe that's, you know, that's what we're about, you know. But I want to encourage you today. Take the next couple of moments and just ask yourself, is my heart set on being a disciple? If I started here, is my mind and will engaged going, this is what I want? And then maybe ask the Lord, what is the next step I could take to cooperate with the work of your Holy Spirit? Do I need to engage in some new habits? Maybe out of this Gospel of Matthew series, if you built a new habit of being in the Scripture every day, uh, keep going on that. Find, a, find another reading plan. Dive in. We can help you with that. Is it about going, I need to start looking at the trials of my life differently? 
I've been looking at them as things just to say, Lord, please get me out of this. Please change it. Please take me to the next season. And maybe it's about saying, God, would you help me to learn what I need to learn through the ordinary events and the trials of my life. But so that all of us, as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit, might become those who go into this world, who find that beat. Our lives look a little different. And we're just saying to the people who we can come into contact with, hey, come on, come. Come, come to this alpha party we're doing. Come with me on a Sunday. Let me introduce you. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about what God's doing. But let's be those people who say come. Can we do that? As a people, can we be that kind of church? Wherever you are, I want you just to bow your head, just to close your eyes. And I want you to have some silence for a couple of minutes here. We talked about a lot of things. And I want to encourage you just to begin to ask God where he wants to meet you in this moment. Maybe it's one of those sides of the triangle right in the center. But take the next couple of minutes to be quiet before him and see what he might say. You know, a couple centuries ago, these words are literally what lit the fire that moved followers of Jesus from just 11 on that mountain to the global movement of a billion today. No shortcuts, no, no special strategy, just the call to be a disciple who makes disciples. And I really want to pray that Jesus might breathe some of that fresh energy, that just as these words, they breathe so much energy into his followers. I want to pray for those who today say, I want to be a part of that same movement. I want, I want that fresh energy in my own life to say, this is the point. This is the goal. To be a disciple. To be a disciple who makes disciples, who will go, who will welcome others. And if you want to just welcome the work of his Holy Spirit in your life, just to light that fresh spark again, I want to encourage you, wherever you are, to just lift your arms, both arms, which is a symbol of surrender and just saying, Lord, I'm here. I surrender to you. You are king. Oh, this, the gospel of Matthew just lifts our vision. He's king. He's Lord. We're just going to lift our arms and ask that the fresh wind of his spirit blow in our lives. Lord Jesus. Here in this moment, we pray a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit to blow in our lives refocus us the call to be disciples lift our vision of you of who you are lord i pray that our hunger and thirst for you would lead us to new patterns new habits in our lives pursuing you in solitude in silence pursuing you in your word in worship 
that, Lord, in those spaces, you would be so transforming through the work of your Holy Spirit within. You'd be transforming us from the inside out. I pray that in our moments, in our trials, in our ordinary everyday, so great would be your presence with us, which you have promised, that you transform every trial, every ordinary moment into a place where you are transforming us to be more like you, our King, our Lord. And I pray that the life of heaven would so fill our hearts and lives from the inside out that we would be part of a great movement, a great movement of your spirit, a great movement of, for the kingdom of God in this world, drawing others into the joy and the goodness that is only found in the kingdom of heaven. God, let us shine like a light on a hill as your people. We pray it together today in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said... Amen.